Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, how is everyone? Good. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to uh, those of you that are watching online or out of all, one of our campuses or in this room right now. Uh, I want to get to the sermon in a second, but first I got to share some amazing wins. Uh, first is that, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have had over 750 people raise their hands just in the past few weeks saying, I am new to hope and it looks like I found a church home. Isn't that amazing? Can we celebrate that? Yeah. We said it last week, we'll say it again, a pandemic cannot stop God. And so I wanna say welcome to to you if you're watching online or joining at one of our campuses. And if you're watching online specifically and you live in the Triangle area, I just wanna encourage you, uh, you are welcome to join us at one of our live gatherings, either on Thursday night or on the weekends at one of our services. Uh, We know that we are still in the midst of a pandemic and you might be in a high-risk category or caring for someone who is in a high-risk category and we get that and we support you and we understand that. Um, And you have to do what you have to do to keep yourself safe and your family safe. But um, if there does come a moment when you want to come back and join us, we would love to have you. And it's not so that we can have a full room. Uh, It's not so we can get a big crowd. It's because we miss you. Uh, We miss you. We want to see you every single weekend. uh, People walk in the doors for the first time after a year with just tears in their eyes saying, this is what I've needed. I've needed that human connection in this time in my life. Uh, And uh, one of our favorite things to do here as staff members is take one of those new folks and introduce them to the best part of our church, which is the people. Um, And so if you've been on the fence about that, kind of debating when is the right time to head to in-person services, I cannot think of a better week than this coming weekend, uh, which is Easter, where Christians all around the world are going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We will have 12 in-person opportunities, including our Hope in Espanol, our Spanish service. You can go to gethope.net slash Easter for info on that and to get tickets. And if you're coming, you might as well bring someone else as well. So we look forward to seeing you. But we are in the second week of our series that we've been calling Not What You Expected. And uh, we've been talking about how there's more to Christianity and to Jesus than meets the eye. How we just naturally come at Jesus with these inbuilt uh, assumptions and expectations and how Jesus is so good at surprising us and defying those expectations. Uh, And uh, uh, the most obvious example of this is Easter Sunday, which we'll be celebrating next week. I mean, we think that death is the end, but for Jesus and his followers, it's really the beginning. It's like the biggest surprise ending and plot twist in all of history. Well, last week, we talked about an encounter that Jesus had with one of his followers, Peter, and Donnie did an amazing job, didn't he? Let's show some love for Donnie. So well-spoken, so wise. Uh, But that was an encounter with one of his followers. This weekend, uh, we're gonna be talking about an encounter that Jesus has with all sorts of people, and I'm gonna be zeroing in on those that aren't his followers yet. And so if you're watching online, or at one of our campuses and just kicking the tires of Christianity, this is for you. Uh, Whether you're just starting to explore Jesus uh, or you've been debating whether or not to jump into a relationship with him for the past few weeks or months, this weekend, I'm gonna be talking directly to you. And I just wanna forewarn you, we're gonna see 
Jesus acting and behaving in a way that he rarely does. Uh, we're gonna see a scene that has Jesus defying the expectations of everyone involved. It's a scene that we call Palm Sunday. Um, it's uh, the beginning of Holy Week, where Palm Sunday, we have Jesus riding in Jerusalem. We have Monday, Thursday, or Monday, Thursday. I don't know what that's about, but that happens somewhere in the middle of the week. Then we have Good Friday, uh, where we have online services, and then we have Easter Sunday. And Palm Sunday is just when Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, to begin his final week of ministry here on earth. And you're never gonna believe this, but this weekend is Palm Sunday. Funny how that works out. All right, so if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're gonna be jumping between uh, John and Luke's account of Palm Sunday. But let me catch you up on the context real quick. Uh, Jesus is nearing the end of his three-year public ministry. And if you had to summarize that ministry, Jesus had basic, has basically been walking around a lake with 12 dudes called his disciples. And as he goes from town to town, sometimes he gets to a place and he teaches to a large crowd. Uh, sometimes he'll go into town and he'll teach to a small uh, crowd. Sometimes he'll get into a city and all he'll do is heal people. Sometimes he'll have a heated exchange with some of the religious leaders. Sometimes he sneaks away into the wilderness and just prays and spends time with his father. But there's rarely any consistency with what his days and his weeks look like. And so because of this, opinions about who Jesus is and what he's all about are all over the board. And some people think that he's a prophet. Some people think that he's mainly a healer. Um, some people believe that he is just a really good teacher. Some people think that he is a Jewish rebel set on overthrowing Rome. But depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them, you would get all sorts of opinions about who Jesus was. And it's no different in our day, is it? Jesus is just one of those figures that people can't quite seem to get out of their heads. And everyone has an opinion when it comes to Jesus. I know, I'm a pastor, so people freely offer what they think about Jesus, who he was, and what he came to do. If we surveyed the room, there'd probably be 20 or 30 different opinions about who Jesus was. Uh, but in this scene that we're gonna be looking at, Jesus shows us exactly who he is and what he came to do. And through his actions, he leaves no room for discussion. And this is unlike any other story that we have of Jesus in the Gospels. There's this one point in the Gospel of Luke where Peter kind of figures out who Jesus is. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, who do you think that I am? And Peter tells him. And Jesus says, Shh, don't, don't tell anybody. We gotta keep that a secret. We don't want anyone to know yet. That's a theme that runs through the book of Luke. Even Herod kind of catches on and gets a glimpse of who Jesus is. And he asks him point blank, is this what you've come to do? And Jesus dodges the question. He refuses to answer. But in this scene, he makes it public. He leaves no room for doubt. And that's why I like bringing up the story when I'm talking with people who have doubts or questions about Christianity because in this scene, Jesus just cuts through all the noise and gets right to the heart of things. So when our story starts, Jesus is visiting his friend Lazarus in a city called Bethany, which is in the east of Jerusalem. And uh, he's recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And because of that, his publicity is at an all-time high. So this huge crowd has been getting following Jesus since he raised Lazarus from the dead from place to place. And ever since that happened, the Pharisees heard about it and they just have been boiling over in anger. As soon as they heard that Jesus had raised the dude from the dead, they said, all right, now we have to actually put him to death. So they put plans into place to kill Jesus. And while they're at it, they thought, let's just kill Lazarus as well. So these Pharisees, these religious leaders that want to put Jesus to death, they're in the city of Jerusalem, along with every other Jew in the whole nation. 
because this is the beginning of the biggest celebration in the Jewish calendar, which is Passover. So Jews from all over the world have flocked to the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has been keeping his distance from Jerusalem for a while now. And his disciples know this. They know why, too, because if he goes into the city, odds are there's gonna be trouble. He's probably gonna get killed. And so the disciples aren't sure what Jesus is gonna do in this moment. Bethany is just a short walk away from Jerusalem. Is he gonna go into the city? Is he gonna go back into the rural areas? They assume that Jesus is gonna go back into the wilderness to avoid some danger and to avoid some persecution. Uh, But Jesus, in the chapter before this in Luke, defies their expectations, surprises everyone and says, hey, boys, we're going into Jerusalem for the Passover. So The scene that we're gonna see is the simple journey that Jesus takes from Bethany into the city of Jerusalem. Now, you have to know a few things about the Bible background and some Old Testament stories to really grasp the importance of what Jesus does here. I'm a firm believer that in 99% of the case, you can pick up the Bible and just read it with no knowledge of the cultural background, no knowledge of the original language, and understand exactly what it is that God is trying to say. But this is just one of a handful of cases where it's really gonna help us out to really see what Jesus is doing here. So there's three things you need to know. First, when you arrived near Jerusalem for Passover, no matter how you got there, whether on the back of a horse, like a a, a carriage drawn by an ox, a razor scooter, who knows, no matter how you got there, when you got to a certain point outside the city of Jerusalem, you would have to dismount and walk the rest of the way on foot. That was a law. So everyone's walking. If you were physically unable to climb that hill into the city of Jerusalem, you actually had to get a letter of exemption from the religious leaders, right? So everyone's dismounting, everyone's walking. Second, there's a story in the Old Testament about how Solomon was coronated king. So you guys remember the three greatest kings in Israel's history? There was Saul, then there was David, then there was David's son, Solomon. Well, when David was really old, and he's almost dead, Uh, One of his sons, Adonijah, plotted a hostile takeover of the throne. This is the second time this happens to David. The first is with another son named Absalom. So David's got some real bad family problems. But everyone knew that Solomon, uh, David's son with Bathsheba, was the rightful heir to the throne. But Adonijah had gotten these movers and shakers in Israel on his side, and he almost pulled off a military coup. Well, David hears about this, and so he calls a priest in, and he calls in his wife Bathsheba and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take young Solomon, and I want you to go to Gihon. Everyone say Gihon. Okay, it's important. If you're from the South, you heard that's what your granddaddy said Sunday afternoon, right after lunch. You better Gihon. I'm tired of you. I got supper coming, so go back to your mom. But Gihon, I want you to take Solomon there, and I want you to take my royal mule And I want you to put Solomon on top of that mule and I want you to coronate him as king, blow a trumpet, yell long live the king, and I want you to lead a parade that goes from Gihon into the eastern gate of Jerusalem. So that's what happens, 1 Kings chapter one. So they went down and they had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, long live King Solomon. And all the, pimple, all the people went up after him playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. Remember that. The last and greatest king in Israel's history was coronated through a parade that went from Gihon 
into the eastern gate of Jerusalem. That's the second thing. Third thing, there's a prophecy in the book of Zechariah. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. John records it in his account of Palm Sunday. Uh, But it's a prophecy about how a king would come to the nation of Israel and how he would be different than any other king that Israel had ever had. How he would bring peace not war, how he would uh, rule not just Jerusalem, but the whole world. And he wouldn't come riding on a war horse like all the other kings. He would come riding on a donkey. That's how you know it would be the Messiah because the donkey is an animal of peace. So you got that? Everyone's walking, no one's riding. The last and greatest king was coronated through a parade that went through from Gihon into the eastern part of Jerusalem. And there's a prophecy about a king coming on a donkey. Okay, now we have all the pieces of the puzzle. And now that we know that, this little Palm Sunday parade becomes pretty dramatic. Let's pick it up in Luke 19. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. He had decided we're going in. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, he stops. And he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. That's a baby donkey. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. All right, notice, Jesus stops at Bethany. Bethany's in the east. It's just a few hundred yards away from this place that they used to call Gihon. It's a well now. It's the water supply for Jerusalem. So notice that. Then he goes and asks the um, disciples to go get a donkey. Ever since I watched Shrek, I can't say donkey without a Scottish accent. But they go send him to go get a donkey. Okay, remember Zechariah, the king riding on the donkey. And look at how he tells them to go get the donkey. Everyone says it's a borrowed donkey. It's not. It's a commandeered donkey, okay? You know when you're watching those cheesy police movies and uh, they're on this high-speed chase down the highway and they're chasing this criminal and then uh, odds are they'll, they'll crash their police car and then they like break open the windshield and crawl out and they stop traffic and they stop this dude with the Prius and they say, NYPD, I need use of your vehicle. You know when that happens? Then they hop in the Prius and they continue the chase. They commandeered that Prius, okay? Uh, they used their authority to, to utilize a citizen's private property. And it was the same with King back in Jesus's day. The king could take and use whatever he needed from his subjects. So that's what happened. Jesus is using his kingly right to use this donkey. He says, if anyone questions them, tell them the Lord has need of it. Not Jesus, not a rabbi, not the teacher, but the Lord. So the disciples go and get the donkey and they bring it back to Bethany and now the scene's set. So that large crowd that had been following Jesus since he raised Lazarus from the dead, when they got to Bethany, they stopped because Jesus stopped. They probably sat down on the grass and I'm sure some of the old ones kind of nudged the young kids and pointed down and said, right there, that's where David had Solomon coronated as king. And over there, that's where Adonijah was like partying and drinking and thinking he was gonna get the throne. And that's when he heard the loud trumpets and the cheers, long live the king. And they had made a parade from right there all the way into the entrance of Jerusalem. Kind of like where we're gonna be headed in a second. What a parade that must have been. And then they hear a commotion and they look over and as everyone else is getting off their horses and their donkeys, they see Jesus getting on one. And they think, okay, he's riding, he's not walking, he's breaking the rules. And they remember something about Zechariah and a king, and a donkey. And they see Jesus point it towards the entrance of Jerusalem. They're like, hey, that's the exact same parade route 
that Solomon took all those years ago. And they say, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And this crowd that's been hoping against hope that Jesus really is this long-awaited king, they say, man alive, it's happening. Jesus is taking the throne. He's gonna kick out these evil Romans. We get to be a part of making history, and it's time for a parade, boys. So in a moment of excitement, they line the road that goes down into the valley and up to Jerusalem, and they start this amazing parade route. And they take off their outer coats, and they throw it at Jesus' feet. Uh, this happened a few times in First and Second Kings. They would throw their, their coats in front of a king, just saying, hey, we're your subjects. You're our king. All that we have is ours, uh, yours. Long live the king. And Jesus makes his way down into the valley. And as he begins to approach the eastern wall of Jerusalem, the crowd that is in the city hear the commotion, look over, and they make the connections too. He's riding. He's not walking. He's on a donkey. Zechariah. That's how Solomon was coronated. So they begin to line the other sides of the street. And this side's kind of saying, blessed be the name of the king. This side starts seeing long live the king. In John 12, it says this. A large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And they grabbed palm branches just in the spur of the moment and began laying these on the ground and waving them around like flags, Luke 19, um, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed, uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So there's, there's all this shouting, there's all this commotion, and the Pharisees that are inside Jerusalem notice they hear this huge parade route. And they're like, is some Roman official coming in? They look over and lo and behold, it's Jesus. And they know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They know 1 Kings chapter one. They know Solomon's parade. They know Zechariah. And they get exactly what's going on. So they get within an earshot of Jesus and kind of catch his eye and say, hey, Jesus, you gotta shut it down. You've kind of hinted that this is who you are but we can't have these people proclaiming you as king. This is open heresy. This is open um, revolt of the Roman authorities. You gotta shut this down right now. And Jesus refuses, and look what he says in Luke 19. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And he makes his way into the eastern gate and enters the city of Jerusalem. And it's this amazing scene because there's been hundreds of ideas about who this Jesus guy was and what he was all about. It's been the talk of the villages and the highways and the taverns and the synagogues and the schools and the fishing boats and the construction sites. There's been conversations about who Jesus is going on in the streets and behind closed doors and around kitchen tables all the way up to the Roman officials. And in this one moment, he sweeps all of that away and basically says this, what these crowds are saying I am that's who I really am, right? Your thoughts were correct. In fact, I'm more than that. I'm the Lord of Lords. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I'm King. And the crowds get it, and they're super excited. And the disciples get it, and they get super nervous. And the Pharisees understand, and they get furious. And this little parade puts into motion events that we're gonna pick up during our Good Friday services and our Easter services. But I just wanna hang out here with this simple truth that Kanye got right, all right? Jesus is king. So it's a simple truth, but it's not a truth that we think about that often, the fact that Jesus is king. 
We don't spend much time thinking about that. We think about Jesus as Savior, Messiah, healer, redeemer, we like that sort of stuff, but we don't spend much time thinking about him as king because when it, we just naturally assume that when it comes to our life, like I'm on the throne, I'm in charge. We don't like this connotation of Jesus having authority. Oof, we hate that word, right? We don't mind being Jesus king by name as long as he's not king by authority. We don't mind him being king by title as long as he's te not telling me what to do. I mean, this is very un-American, isn't it? King, uh, kingdoms are not democracies. Jesus didn't ask for our vote. And that kind of rubs us the wrong way. It makes things a little bit tricky, a little bit more complicated because if he's just a teacher, then I just have to decide if I agree with him or not. If he's just a healer, I just have to decide if I need him or not. But if he's a king, that changes everything. Because when a king walks into a room, all the opinions and all the conversations stop and you have a decision. You either bow or you don't bow. You either kneel or you don't. You either submit to his rule or you don't. And if you wanna know what Christianity is all about, this is it. It's not another self-help routine. Um, it is not just another healthy thing that you can add to your already busy schedule. It's not even a collection of really helpful principles or life advice that you put into effect in your life. Being a Christian is submitting every area of your life to the lordship of King Jesus. It means to bow your knee. It means to give him the proper place on the throne of your life. And if you don't know much about Jesus, that's scary. I get it. That's an uncomfortable thought. I have discussions with people every week who are wrestling with this decision. Like if I, if I give my future over to God, then my freedom's gone, right? The fun's over. If I put on this religious straight jacket, it's gonna be constraining, it's gonna be awful. It sounds like a lot to give up, to submit to Jesus as king. And if that's how you're feeling right now, I just wanna share two simple truths with you that maybe you've never thought of and that might make this decision a little bit easier. First, something is already sitting on the throne of your life. You think it's you, it's not. Something's already sitting on the throne of your life. This whole submission to someone or something is scary, but you're already doing it. You already follow something as the Lord of your life. Something already kind of controls your actions and your decisions. An artist once said, free will is an illusion. Everyone just chooses the perceived path of most pleasure. I think he's overstating it a little bit, but I think he's onto something there. I think all of us have something that we chase after, that we desire. Something gets us out of bed in the morning. We dream about something as we go to bed at night. Something we believe will ultimately satisfy us and complete us, and that's why we do what we do. That's why we think what we think. That's why we make the decisions that we make because we're chasing after that one thing. The common example is money, right? And that might be some of you. Getting or spending or saving money is your king. All of your decisions are run through the matrix of uh, how much money will bring me joy, right? Uh, some of you, it might be relationships. That might be your king. It might be that one guy or that one girl, or maybe it's a string of relationships where you just think, I just know this one person is gonna complete me and satisfy me, or I know the perfect one's out there somewhere. One day I'll be complete. Just gotta find that one person. And that kind of controls your decision-making. In fact, you're willing to pay a price. You're willing to give stuff up. You've given up friends for that. You've given up money 
Sometimes you're willing to do physical stuff that you really didn't want to do because that relationship, that person was your king. It's different things for all of us. Right? There's control, there's safety, there's physical looks, there's fame, there's comfort, there's other people's opinions. See, all of us have already bowed our knee to one king or another. So submitting to Jesus, it seems scary, but you're already, you've already submitted your life to something. And I just wanna be honest with you today, and I think that you would agree, if you were honest with yourself, that anything other than Jesus sitting on the throne of your life makes for a really bad master. In fact, it makes for a cruel master, okay? The things that you've bowed to, whether it be money, relationships, other people's opinions, over time, they just take and take and take and take, and they never give back. You ask someone whose king is money, how much money is enough? What are they gonna say? Just a little bit more. You ask someone who's addicted to social media, how many likes is enough? Just a few more. You ask the alcoholic, how many drinks is enough? Just a little bit more. Other kings, over time, they demand and take more and more and they give back less and less. Most of our moments of shame, those times that we don't know, we we don't want anyone to know about, those actions or those decisions that we would have rather not done, most of those moments are done chasing after or in service to that false king, right? That love of money becomes theft. That addiction to other people's opinions becomes lies. That, that love of alcohol becomes the car accident or the lost job. That love of that relationship becomes that one night that you can never get back. These other kings that we've submitted our lives to, they overpromise and they underdeliver and they take and they demand and they never get back. So that's the first thing. You've already submitted your life to something. Here's the second thing. Jesus is a better and different kind of king. Jesus is entirely different. He's a different type of king than the world's ever Seen. In fact, he's so different that the world would have never noticed he was king unless he told us. When he was born, there was nowhere to put the baby. There was no celebration. When he walked this earth during his ministry, there was nowhere to lay his head. When he was killed, there was nowhere to put the body. Other kings came riding on war horses. They demanded money. They used their power to gain. This one came riding in on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. He gave up everything that he had so that he could give us something that we could never deserve. Other kings go higher and higher and higher, but Jesus just went lower and lower and lower. And even now, at this very moment, Jesus is showing the whole world just how different he is than other kings. I love the way Paul puts this in Philippians chapter two. It says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant, a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name that is above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul's saying this king already had it all. He had all the glory and all the praise that was due him. And instead of clinging to that, he gave all of that up and he took on human skin and he moved into this broken world with us. 
and he lived the life that we couldn't live, perfect, holy, spotless for us and as us. And this king died the death that we deserve to die for us and as us. And he made a way for the Father to forgive us and for us to have a relationship with him. And after he died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, it says that God elevated him to the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me ask you a question. Has every knee bowed? No. There's some knees in this room and those of you watching online that have not bowed your knee yet. Has every tongue confessed that Jesus is Lord? No. There's millions of people that haven't done that. So for 2,000 years since Jesus ascended up to heaven, King Jesus has not received the glory and the honor that is due him. Do you know why? Because Jesus knows that when he comes back for the second time, there's no time left for us to decide if he's king or not. He knows that there will be a day when every knee of every angel and demon and human being that has ever existed will bow, but no one gets to choose at that point. So for 2,000 years, he's put it off. He's prioritized you over the honor and the respect that he's due. Do you see his kindness? you see his grace? He has every right to demand our praise and to demand the respect and the glory that he's due, but he waits and he's being patient. And at this moment, listen, he's not demanding anything, but he's offering everything. I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the gospel is the worst deal in the history of the world. Jesus gets nothing out of it. In fact, he has to pay He has to give up almost everything, pay a huge price, and we get everything in return, all because he's such a good king and he so wants you to have that, he waits. So yeah, you have to give up some things. You have to give up control. You have to give up the lie that you can do this life on your own. You have to give up pride that says you don't need forgiving, you don't need a savior, but in return, you get a relationship with the God of the universe. You get peace. You get joy, you get no condemnation, freedom from guilt, no more shame, a new beginning, a fresh start. You get a kind and loving king to follow into eternity. Don't you want that? Aren't you sick of following after that other king, that other master? Maybe, Maybe what's stopping you isn't your discomfort at the idea that Jesus is king, but the thought that a king like that could never accept someone like you. Maybe you want all those things I just listed. Maybe you are desperate for no more shame, fresh start, a new beginning, but you just have this thought that maybe God could do that for someone like you, Chase, (laughs) but you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done, my baggage. No king like that would ever take someone like me. And so maybe what you think about Jesus isn't the obstacle. Maybe the obstacle is what you think Jesus thinks about you. And I have been there. I was 21 years old. I had nothing left in my bank account. Beat up my body through drugs and alcohol. No friends. Hit rock bottom because I was chasing other king of a physical high. 
And I called up an old mentor and said, I'm, I'm done, man. I don't know what to do. So he said, you can come live with me. We'll do this whole sober thing. So I did. And after conversation, after conversation, he's like, I know what the root cause of all this is. And I've told this story a lot, but he tapped my chest and said, you don't believe that Jesus loves you as you are. And something broke and I just wept. And that's when my life changed. And so if that's you, I want you to know, and you might not feel it, that's okay. But I need you to believe it, that right here, right now, with all of your wounds and all of your scars and all of your past mistakes and your failures and your brokenness, Jesus sees you and he sees more of you than, than you do. And in that moment, he, he deeply loves you. <laughs> he not only loves you, he likes you. Like he's very fond of you. See, the truth is you are more broken and more in need than you could ever dream. <laughs> but you are more accepted and loved and cherished and desired than you could ever hope at the same time. That's the gospel. He loves you. He loves you enough to leave heaven, to die for you, to go back to heaven, and to put off his return. And he loves you enough to give you a moment like this, where you can just reach out and accept his love. You can accept his free offer, a moment where you could stop serving that horrible king and just fall into the arms of a different kind of king, a better king. And so if that's you watching online or at one of our campuses, I just wanna ask you, what, what are you waiting for? What's stopping you from making that decision? Jesus has done his part. He's just waiting for you to do yours. So if that's you and you wanna make that decision, I wanna ask all of us here in this room and watching online across all of our campuses to bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you and you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what's stopping you and you want to right now, right here, I just want you to pray a prayer like this. And there's nothing special, there's nothing magical about this. But all the Bible calls you to do is to repent and to believe. It means to just turn away from your old life and turn towards Jesus and believe that God forgives you. So if that's you, just pray something like this. God, I heard today that Jesus as king is different and he's better. And I am sick of where I'm at. And a new beginning and a new start sounds so good. So Father, I'm gonna ask that you forgive me and you say that you can, <laughs> no matter what I've done because of Jesus. I pray that you would help me turn from my old way of life to leave those other kings, those other masters in the past and just help me take steps towards you. I wanna start a relationship right here, right now. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, if that's you, that's the best decision you'll ever make. And I just wanna plead with you to tell someone. Maybe just elbow the person that you're sitting beside right now. Maybe just tap your wife on the shoulder, you're sitting on the couch at home watching right now, type it into the chat, just tell someone because we wanna celebrate with you and we wanna take the first few steps in this new relationship with you. Let me just pray for all of us. Father, for those of us that have made that decision years ago, we just confess and admit um, that we let other things take the throne so often. So would your kindness lead us to repentance? and we allow you that rightful spot that you have.
And we don't want to wait till every knee has to bow. We'll bow right here, right now, and give you the glory and the honor that you do. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.